Hello, beautiful souls. This month's winner of the drawing for a free session with me is Adrian W. That's right. I still do this drawing. Each month, my assistant picks a winner from the names from all of the people who've written a five-star positive review on iTunes or my Google or Facebook business pages. Links in the show notes below. Copy and paste your review to all three places and you're entered to win three times. Don't forget, email me a screenshot so that we know how to reach you when you win. Friends, an additional 16 winners for free sessions with students of the Angel Reiki School were also picked. Those winners' names are in the podcast show notes and over on our Facebook group, the Angels and Awakening Podcast Tribe. Don't forget, leave a review today and maybe I'll be announcing your name on an upcoming show. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis. If you love this podcast, please be our angel. Ask a friend to listen, subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a positive review, and share a screenshot of this podcast on your Facebook or Instagram stories. So my dad passed away in 2015. We weren't talking and it took a month for his family to track me down. Before I ever knew he was gone, I started hearing from him in heaven. It consumed me. How is communication with the other side even possible? I left my corporate gig, studied with spiritual teachers on every coast and worked with my angels to figure out the answers. Today, my mission is teaching you how to raise your vibration, shift your thoughts, trust your intuition, develop your unique spiritual gifts, and connect with your loved ones and angels on the other side. Friends, when you have these tools, life really does become heaven on earth. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am here with author Michael Grosso. I uh, I took Italian for those who don't know, but I didn't take it very well. And uh, Michael, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today. You're the author of several books, including The Man Who Could Fly. And I would love to get to know a little bit more about you. Tell the audience more about what you do. Okay, I got into this field of research of unusual psychophysical strange phenomena uh, as a result of my own experiences. I've had a lot of strange experiences myself. So that's one component. The other component is uh, I was, I'm a retired philosophy professor, but I'm not retired. (laughs) I'm more active now than I ever was. And I'm still asking the same questions. Now, as an academic, as a philosopher, or and as a person interested in science, I am trying to understand the unusual experiences that I've had, precognitions, uh, psychokinetic phenomena. So all of these experiences I've had and has led me to read and research and meet other people, living people, and study the things that are happening around me right now that are challenging to science, and perhaps even hopeful uh, mm-hmm. in terms of opening up uh, vistas of human potential that we tend to forget and have tended to forgotten to forget in our uh, somewhat materialistic framework of understanding the world. After all, the 
technology and all the marvels of technology are, are, are admirable, but there is there are things beyond technology and beyond the physical world. That's my experience at any rate. Yeah. And that's, that's the origin and something about me that I'll, I'll begin by saying. So let's go into this because I think a lot of people don't realize that the church, um, now St. Joseph Copertino um, was canonized as a saint, right, in the Catholic Church. Right. And he had, I think it's over 75 documented levitations during prayer where he was levitating. Is that correct? Well, the numbers are much greater than that. Uh, And the other thing I want to say is I'm not talking about Joseph from a religious point of view. Right. From from an objective point of view, he did things that challenge modern science. And I have nothing to say for or against about the religious dimension. Right. I'm just interested in the facts and what they may imply for all people, whether you're religious or not. So talk to us about this, about those facts of here was this person who was able to levitate. And what does that even mean? How far off the ground does he come? What are your findings on this? Okay. First of all, uh, they're all shapes and forms of levitation. And we're talking right now about bodily, the levitation of a body. And uh, a couple of things I can say. First of all, in the case of St. Joseph, or we'll just call him Joseph, his levitations were always invariably preceded by him being in a state of ecstasy. Now, that is a psychological and interesting problem. Why is it that a person, and he's not the only person where this happens, when a person goes into a very, very unusual state of consciousness, something that we call a, a certain type of altered state that we call ecstasy, being totally outside of yourself, why should these unusual things happen? That's an interesting uh, and exceedingly challenging problem. Now, what would happen is that whenever Joseph would get in, like when he's saying mass, and he would come to the moment of, of, uh, of the consecration of the host, that his mind was like touching the divine and it excited him so much that he became ecstatic and he would tend to lift off the ground maybe two, three, four inches. And most people may not have even noticed, but that was a kind of almost routine form of levitation. On the other hand, when he was not saying mass, walking about, observing the world, interacting with people, an amazing number of circumstances might arise that would excite him again and make him think of sacred ideas because it was always sacred ideation that would stimulate this state of ecstasy. And in those instances, he would rise off the ground. Sometimes in one very famous instance observed by a bunch of people, he got carried away when somebody said something holy or that entranced him. And he flew off to the top of an, of an olive tree. And he was on his knees, try to imagine this, on his knees, balancing upon a twig, like a bird. But of course, he wasn't a bird. He was a normal man. This was observed by many people. And then suddenly he wakes up from his ecstasy. He's on top of a tree, and he starts to cry. He, know how, he doesn't know how he got there, and he doesn't know how to get down. <laughs> so they, 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 the brothers, the other monks, they bring a, a ladder, and they help him down. So these are involuntary reactions 
to an inner state of mind. Joseph seemed to have a talent for imagining, feeling, projecting his consciousness out of this world. And when he did that, it was always upward, in an upward direction. Of heaven is up there. Right. So somehow his body followed, and he would um, levitate. So there were all kinds of stories, and I could grab one after the other, illustrating how, but the general idea is that Joseph had a superabundant disposition to go into ecstatic states. There are reasons why he probably got there. And whenever that happened, uh, whether he was by himself or whether he was uh, having dinner with a bunch of people or even in, in saying mass or participating in a, in a, in a spiritual outdoor uh, meeting for whatever reason, any time in any place, it might suddenly seize him, this ecstatic state, and up he would go to such an extent that it, that he caused people, he caused a great deal of, of variety of disturbances that the church eventually got him to stay away from other people. They, toward the end of his life, the last six years of his life, he was isolated from everybody because wherever he was, he would cause disturbances and it bothered the church. And frankly, it turned out that this is where Joseph preferred to be by himself. Mm. So he could commune with the, the heavenly realms on his own and not be distracted if he did happen to float up in the top of the ceiling in his own cell, which he did numerous times among numerous of his uh, 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 fellow monks. So but, I've got some questions yeah. for you. I got to get these all out or else I'm going to forget. But I'm wondering a couple, why or how, how can the physical body become so light? I've gotten into meditations and even talking with you now, you can feel this very high vibrational frequency. And when I work with my clients, I do show them that in your day to day, you're really holding your energy within your physical body. But when you get into these other states of vibration, you're feeling them outside of yourself. And for those who can't see me, I'm pointing to above my shoulders, above the top of my head. Mm-hmm. How does the physical body, when you're in that vibration, become so light that it can raise? So that's one question. And then also, are there people today who are levitating? Are there reports that you've found of people? Has this happened throughout time? Or is this just way back when? Well, the, the, the first question, uh, how, is a mystery, okay? We don't know, but, but I have in my book some speculations, and I've discussed this with some physicists, and, uh, but the truth of the matter is, a, uh, of the matter is that it, it, it's a mystery. And if you want, we can come back and I'll say a little bit about that. But to answer your, uh, your question about whether or not this is a phenomenon that's still occurring today, and all, at all times, the answer is undoubtedly yes. But it is a rare phenomenon. For example, I have one case in, listed in the book of a, uh, a, a, a woman that I know who now deceased was in Spain traveling, uh, uh, in, uh, in Spain with a, with a Swedish friend of hers. And they stepped into this church and they noticed the nun pr- at prayer at, in the front of the church, and the nun suddenly rose up into the air and levitated. There was no one in the church but but these two people who were viewing her. And the 
the Swedish woman was so shocked and so distressed that she practically fainted. So, I mean, there are there are uh, cases. Padre Pio lived in the 20, uh, uh, 20th century, reportedly levitated. There are Armenians that have levitated. There's a, a, an extensive literature on this, and uh, it is not a common phenomenon, and it seems to have been more intense and more widespread earlier, uh, in, in Europe at least. Uh, there's lots of evidence that uh, other religions and other contexts also display similar types of phenomena. But the answer to your, uh, to your question, uh, the first question is, I don't know. <laughs> the second question is, yeah, it's still taking place and in different shapes and forms all over the place. So what's the best, for the first question, what's the best answer that you've gotten from any physicist or scientist that you've talked to about how the body can become uh, so light that it can levitate? Well, even the, even the possible answers are totally unclear. One possibility, uh, I, I won't mention the names of the physicists because I don't want to ascribe to them opinions that may not be theirs, but there are some physicists who feel that quantum mechanics which tells us that at the very basic level of physical reality, the very basic quantum level of physical reality, according to some quantum physicists, is more mind-like, it's quasi-mind-like for various reasons that they give. As such, it raises the possibility that certain human minds might be able to activate the quasi-minds of physical objects or even the quasi-mind of their own bodies, however strange that may sound. But anyway, one possible answer is through quantum mechanics. Another possible answer is through hyperspace. And here's the way I would try to make this clear to you. Imagine Joseph levitating. There is one place where you can imagine not only Joseph, but even you, Julie, levitating. Where be, where be that? Heaven. On the other side. No. No, no. Closer. Dreams. Have you never had a flying dream? I have. You have. I've had, I've had two or three, and I have to say that the one particular flying dream that I had, uh, I was riding on my silver flute through heaven itself, it seemed. It was one of the highest experiences I've ever had. So maybe you see it's possible uh, that we're, we are going to levitate when we leave our bodies personally, uh, rather finally. That's one, one common, but one way of looking at it. So uh, I heard somebody say recently, and I don't know where I heard this from, but I heard somebody say that every point of consciousness is where we're at at the time. And let me kind of break this down. So I remember they were talking about dream states. They were talking about what our consciousness would be like when we're on the other side completely, when we've passed and gone to heaven, and what our consciousness is here. And that the consciousness of every reality is worthy that we focus on the reality that we're in, the conscious state that we're in. So what I'm seeing as you're talking is perhaps these people who are levitating, could they be awake in their physical body, but their consciousness be in this alternative state where the body is rising energetically to meet mm -hmm. the consciousness and where it's at? Does that make sense? It does make sense. It, 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 it's hard to prove it by 
uh, by experimentation. And uh, but, but what you just said was a very uh, clearly uh, uh, conceivable point that I'm driving at. That that it it it's somehow that we in our physical universe uh, are interacting with a dream or spiritual universe, and that we're much, those two universes are much closer than we suppose. Not like it's a thousand miles away or a million miles away like some other star system or something. Rather, it's a state of mind. So that if a mystic like St. Joseph or Milarepa, a famous uh, Tibetan uh, monk, also famous for levitation, when these individuals concentrate day in and day out and meditate on the pure vacuum of higher consciousness and free themselves from all associations that are physical and mundane, it could be very well that they again they get themselves into a state of reality that uh, begins to change their physical reality. And we know from many, we have all kinds of evidence that suggests that the that how the mind can uh, can influence the body. Take, for example, the uh, the effect of our own the, the placebo effect. I mean, which was one of the great open mysteries of science. No one wants to admit it's a mystery. How is it that just believing that a pill is going to help you physically often does? You see? So given the fact that the, the mind, when it's, the, my assumption is that when the mind is fully liberated from its attachments to the physical domain, it gains in visionary powers and as well in physical powers. The proof of this will be when we die, when we get completely rid of our body. Now, I don't know that this is true. This is still a speculation for me. I haven't been there, so I don't know for sure. But it's a good bet. I'm open to the idea. So somehow, it seems that people who are more uh, on the borderline between dream and reality, as in the near-death experience, for example, there's a greater likelihood of uh, tasting and experiencing these extraordinary states uh, including something like levitation that we're discussing right now. That's amazing. I'm just writing down notes here. I Because there's so many different ways that we could go with this. I'm wondering then, what do you see consciousness as? <laughs> well, consciousness uh, is many things. First of all, consciousness is the difference between, between being aware of the world and being nothing. When I slip into dreamless sleep, when I'm no longer conscious, I'm nothing. I already know what death is like. I die every night. I disappear. There may be more to it, by the way, because sometimes in the darkness of dreams, in sleep we dream and we see things even more amazing. That's a big, huge question. First of all, we do not, scientists do not know, cannot explain consciousness in terms of the brain. There's a connection between our consciousness and our brain, clearly. But the one is irreducible to the other. But why I'm sort of stymied when you say consciousness, it can mean so many different things. What kinds of consciousness? We can be conscious of the world around us through our senses. We can be conscious of our memories of the senses we had yesterday. That's quite different, isn't it? We can be conscious of our intentions as our willing forms of consciousness, our desires to change the world and so that's very different from just taking the world in through perception then you know there are all shapes and forms of, of consciousness there are dream states there are 
space in between a waking and sleep, the hypnagogic and the hypnopompic. So it depends what kind of world of consciousness we're talking about. And But everything that we know, everything that we can conceive of as existing, is the result of some animated being having a conscious experience of it. So that there are some philosophers, some people who think about this, who regard consciousness as the fundamental reality. And uh, the external world is some kind of a dream or a, a transient a fantasy forced upon us by the fact that we're entangled with our bodies. But consciousness is the fundamental mirror of reality itself. And it's a mystery. Yeah. Science can't explain it. Yeah. That, that, that's They're trying. I, <laughs> so interesting. I find it the most obvious thing in the world that you right now are conscious of me talking. And the most obvious thing for me is that I'm conscious of myself talking to you. We don't know how it's even possible. It's a mystery. That's so, fascinating. I don't mind living with a little mystery. <laughs> yeah. Friends, I am so excited to announce that we took all of the information from the two e-courses that we've run earlier this year, the Angel Communication e-course and the Manifestation e-course. And we put it into a beautiful package for you to take anytime. If you sign up on our website to take one of these courses, what you're going to get is a beautiful workbook where you have all of the information and different places to write down what you're experiencing as you go through the course. And my friends, in the Manifestation eCourse, there is over five and a half hours of content videos for you to learn from. In the Angel Communication course, there is over six and a half hours of video content for you to learn from. And we are getting such amazing feedback from people who are saying this is so life-changing to be able to hear, feel, see, talk to, and overall in general communicate with your angels. And in the other e-course, we are having so many people email in about the beautiful things that they are manifesting and co-creating in their lives. Friends, if you need help with these things, these e-courses are available for you to take anytime. If you want to support this podcast, please take one of those e-courses, book a one-on-one session with me where I'll bring through messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. Or you can also take the Angel Reiki School. We have the next school coming up May 2nd and 3rd where you'll become an Angel Reiki Master Teacher. If you want to learn all about what's included and how you're going to develop your unique spiritual gifts there, how you're going to use those unique spiritual gifts in your life. Stay on for the very last three minutes of this podcast where we're going to go over all of those details about the school with you. Thanks so much for listening. Now let's jump back into the show. So then how do, because what happens is when you awaken to your consciousness, I'm going to say a vibrational frequency and energy and living in this, what I would call a higher vibration, because when I'm in my day to day, uh, before awakening, I really felt the energy of my physical body so much heavier, right? Mm-hmm. Stress, anxiety, frustration, all the emotions that we go through in our day to day. When right. I live more in my day to day, not 
just in meditation or in prayer, but living my day to day and feeling that higher vibration. Mm-hmm. The more and more that I got into it, um, I was able to develop my spiritual gifts of connecting with the other side and bringing through messages for people. Mm-hmm. And I've taught a lot of different people and everybody's got a different gift that they can kind of open up to. Mm-hmm. How does that tie into consciousness, our huh. spiritual gifts? Huh. Yeah. Well, I, again, it's a bit of a mystery, but it does seem that some of us are simply more open, less guarded. It, it could have something, it could be a genetic factor, the way our brains are structured, that we have lower thresholds. Some people look at a color red and say, yeah, others look at me red and they get vibrate and they get all excited. Why? Because one person is more perceptive, more sensitive. Why are they more perceptive, more sensitive? It could be a lot of things. It could be, um, as I say, just the way the brain is built or constructed. It could have something with vitamins for we know, but it could also be psychological. And, but then the important thing is this. Traditionally, People have figured out ways to make themselves more sensitive, to make themselves more conscious. So we have spiritual practices, meditation, we have yoga. And I think I can say this, that the the way to generally open up the gates to these wonderful gifts that we're talking about, that the, the essence of it is to quiet the activity of the brain down, to, to remove the obstacles, to get rid of the clutter. It's like having a room, you know, if you want, let's say uh, I, have a, I have a studio right over there. I'm a painter. If I had it all cluttered with junk, I couldn't paint anything. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see the sunlight streaming through the, uh, through the windows that make it possible to paint. So most of us are struggling, frankly, let's be honest about it, just to survive. So our consciousness is swallowed up uh, by the struggle to survive and to make it in a world that is increasingly so difficult for so many people. And for all of us in the end, because we're all going to get old and, uh, and decay and die. That's inevitable, physically at any rate. So, but accidents happen. People take up practices. They get inspired. Sometimes terrible things inspire people to do marvelous new things. And they open up. They, they, get, they catch glimpses. Or they become permanently transformed or transmuted, like some famous yogis, mystics, and many people have near-death experience, inspired artists. Talk to people and you find almost in everybody's life, there are moments where things opened up for them. Now, whether or not they made complete use of those temporary openings is another question. And there's where I think as educators, as what we're trying to do now, we're trying to educate ourselves, each other, right? Share our stories and others another to say hey all these things could happen your life does not have to be exactly determined by the external forces impinging on you you can leave your own story and and even open yourself up actively proactively explore the mysteries that's my view so I know that you work with a lot of different healers, like you, you've looked at a lot of different healers and what they've been able to do. And I think a lot what we focus on here is who are those people who are just trying to make money off of people and who really has a gift and is serving. And of course, you have to, you know, make money to put 
you know, pay your bills and whatnot, but, but it's more about the service. So I have people come to me all the time, Michael, I'm from the Chicagoland area and they'll say, you know what? I, Julie, I went to this person down in the city and they told me that I am so blocked. And if I don't pay $4,000 or $5,000 that I'm just going to remain blocked. What do I do? Talk to us about, you know, the people that you have seen have real gifts, people who go there and yes, people can have blockages, but I'm not sure that I believe that you can just go to somebody and have them do the work for you. I'm a firm believer in that we have to do the work for ourselves. And yes, I can help other people get to that place, but I can't hop into your body and do all of the work for you. So what is legit in your eyes and and where can people understand more? Well, I, I mean, it, it you know it takes common sense uh, to uh, to realize that someone is asking money to, in the hopes of getting you to, you know to deliberate them. I, I would be very very cautious. My, my quick response is that the apart from the fact that everybody needs to live, as you say, and earn a little bread, as it were, but by the way, I don't have any special knowledge with great healers, but I've read a lot about them and I know something about it. But I have a clear impression that the greatest healers, like say someone like Joseph Copertino, come back to my uh, man I wrote a story about, the easiest way to get him to panic and, and run headlong away from you is to hand, hand him a coin. I mean, money to him was, it was the royal road to hell. Now, we all need money to survive. But what I'm trying to say is that the great healers that I have studied, it was all for the, the, the it was something they simply had to do. Uh, and but I'm not saying I have friends who who are psychiatrists or psychotherapists uh, and, and 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 other healers. And, uh, I have a number of friends, and they're good people, and they're not cheating, and they're not lying. But they need to make a living. I needed to make a living as a teacher of philosophy. Right, I had to earn a living so I could have a roof, a roof over my head, some food. But as far as the, to, to answer your question, um, it has to be done out of the heart and out of the spirit. Yeah. And, but if it's too much the profit motive to get it, go somewhere else. I, I would say. Yeah, you know? I agree with that. Now you also work with different foundations too, and I'm wondering what do you think is the future of consciousness? What happens when they discover exactly what it is? How do things in this world change based on that discovery? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think the way I would rephrase it, what happens when science gets hit to the extraordinary forgotten and latent powers of human consciousness? Uh, That seems to be, uh, and I, I can only imagine that the more we learn about the creative powers of consciousness, the better we'll all be uh, in in so many different ways. I mean, think about this. One aspect of consciousness is empathy, right? And it seems to me that we're at war in so many ways, there's so much hostility, that a revolution of consciousness should bring about an enhancement of human empathy so that we can start to feel uh, people that are different from us, uh, even those that even those whom we, whose opinions and actions we may despise and disapprove of, and even rightly so. 
so we think. Somehow we have to get past that if we want to survive as a species. So a consciousness revolution could make a, a huge difference in terms of uh, medical care, in terms of politics. A true revolution of consciousness studies, as I understand it, should liberate religion from its dogmatism and make and emphasize what I would call the perennial philosophy, the idea that all the religions are, are partial revelations of the one great truth, the one great mind or spirit. And granted, that's an intuition of my own. So research in consciousness has, serious research, has radical implications for all aspects of life. For example, I'll give you one more example. If we had stronger evidence for life after death, and people became more and more convinced that they were going to survive into another world, I have a feeling it would change their behavior here and change their consciousness here. My view is that the wider the scope of awareness in general, the greater the healing potential. Even a pain, I've noticed this, if I have a pain in my body, I, I can adopt two attitudes. I could say, damn you pain, and shrink and angrily turn away from it. I don't want this pain. It hurts more then, right? What I notice is if I just sort of relax and get into my pain, hello pain, yeah, that feel good, do your whole thing, do it. It goes away. Now, I don't mean to be sound naive. Serious illness is not like that, but I, I believe that the mind is the great healer. And, uh, and the thing that we need to uh, activate our own self-repair system, our own self, the immune system, it's all there, but it's so many, in so many ways, it's, it's asleep, it's not awake, it's not fully conscious of, it, of itself. Anyway, that's a huge question, you know. Yeah, what, what, no, what? I love it. I love it. Philosophy professor, I could talk to you for forever. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in your email, you wrote this beautiful, beautiful line. You put, the issue is how to ignite a revolution of consciousness, a pandemic of miracles, something that might wake up humanity. Yeah, right. That, that's what I've been thinking about lately, given the fact that we're heading toward some really rough times. I keep thinking, what will it take to to shock people? I mean, this is why an ordinary person can have it. I remember I had a student. He was an elderly man. And he was a great guy. He loved being a student. And he explained to me one day he had a heart attack. He was killing himself with his business. He had a heart attack. And he had this amazing experience, near-death experience. And uh, he came out of it. And he realized his whole life was wasting his time. He had enough money. He wanted to go back to school. So the fact of the matter is that Something extraordinary, extraordinary things are going to continue to happen as we go deeper and deeper into this world crisis. Things like uh, that young woman, Sonberg was her name, that very young person who emerged suddenly out of nowhere as the leader of young people against climate. I thought she was miraculous. I thought she was incredibly beautiful and and astonishing. Uh, I thought of Joan of Arc. I think that uh, as we plunge headlong into this human-made calamity, threat of war, climate catastrophe, the violent discord between the rich and the poor all over the planet, the injustice, ripping people's lives apart, 
as we plunge forward into this, you know, global climax of the worst side of human history, so to speak, I also believe that there are going to be all kinds of awakenings. And people can just say, hey, it's like waking up one day, doctor says, hey, you got a little, you got some cancer here in this part of your body and you got to change your diet tomorrow or you die. That person's going to change, right? They're going to change your diet if you know. So there's going to be a point in many lives, many, many cultures perhaps, where that waking up process takes place. That's my optimistic outlook. Uh, the potential that is latent in consciousness, but asleep most of the time, tends to awaken during crises, especially when one is threatened, either by physical death or by meaninglessness. There are many people that are transformed just by looking into the abyss of their own lives and realizing they don't know what the heck's going on and just sort of, uh, there are many ways that we can awaken, that's my point. Yes. As teachers, and as helpers of our brothers and sisters, uh, as we go along, we need to come up with ways of reminding people of what is available. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's the high, the high uh, vocation of education today, I think, is to wake up to our, our truly um, creative selves in ways that have never been required before in history. The reason that's required today is because... The planet Earth is facing death itself. That's a fact. That's not a fantasy out of my head. Right. I'm not a prophet. I'm a student of science here. That's what the scientists are telling us. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So that's so spot on. And so like we were talking about before, because I'm sure our listeners have questions, people are in different stages of their lives. And if you are in this point of just trying to survive, you're not as concerned. I remember being in the hospital with my daughter because my daughter's doing perfectly wonderfully now, but she was a very sick infant when she was first born. And we were in and out of the hospital uh, that first, well, really in the hospital most of that first six months, off and on for that first year. And we were such big recyclers, still are, but we even wanted to use cloth diapers and not, you know, the the paper diapers. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I, when we were thrust into this hospital life, just seeing the waste, right? And seeing that it wasn't, you weren't able to recycle, but just holding on to our sanity and trying to survive during that time when she was in the hospital, we threw out all of everything else because we were just trying to, I was just trying to get a shower in once a week and just trying to figure out how to save my kid. And I, I I know that that point in my life is so different from when we're not in a state of survival mode and we are able to think about these bigger issues. Is that a bigger part too of all of us reaching back to help people who are in states of survival mode to help them come out of this so that... Yes, absolutely. And I would also think that many of the folks that are suffering and being oppressed and have reason, one of the things that we can do, uh, or we're part of it too, is to emphasize the need to protest. And in other words, the, the folks that are really being crushed in, in spirit are also the ones that are more likely to fight back too, if you push them far enough. And so what we need to do 
assuming we're in a better position, more comfortable, and we have more surplus of life spirit, as it were, is to go out and, and help them and in whatever way we can. It's got to be beyond politics. Even though politics is crucial today, in many ways, I'm not going to get into that with you, but somehow we have to connect with everybody in a, in a, in a uh, sort of a beyond ideology and beyond politics at, at the deeply human level. And uh, so those folks that, that, that we've characterized as least responsive, at least able to respond to their own inner potential, uh, we, may, we, may, we don't want to overstate that because sometimes it's precisely those people that wake up and say, it's something seriously wrong here. Yeah. And there's we can help. We can help to remind people, not, not to make them ang- more angry than they probably already are, but to attempt to remind them that they, of their own worth and their own inner resources. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that, 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 that's, that's, that would be our, as I see it, my, my job. And I see you doing the same thing. I mean, you're trying to talk about this and get people's consciousness. This is so beautiful because I've never been able to bridge the ideas of activism and consciousness in this way, but we're tying it together in a way that I'm just having this huge aha moment that consciousness is completely tied to where humanity is at. And when we help others to get to a better place, we're helping the entire world and humanity to raise their vibration and and to step into a greater level of consciousness well that's pretty much how i feel we can't as i said we can't escape our consciousness uh, and uh but we can become numb and and we can become thoughtless uh, so against numbness and thoughtlessness that's our motto right <laughs> yes against numbness and thoughtlessness thoughtlessness i would equate that with complacency yes yes very much so but i mean just uh people need to learn to think for themselves Mm -hmm. there's a big difference between just thinking this we're all thinking all the time something's going through our minds right an impression a thought an association a feeling thinking but do we want to think this what do we think about what we're thinking yes no question of you asked about consciousness before. One of the miracles of consciousness is its ability to reflect upon itself. Now, the computer that I'm tapping right now, material object, it not only has no consciousness, it has no consciousness of itself. It's not going to get any better. I have to improve it or destroy it, you see. But we are conscious of others, but we're also conscious reflectively of ourselves. And that is uh, can be one of the great forces in our lives to just to, to to reflect on everything that we're doing it changes everything once you're thinking about it and putting attention and feeling into it uh even the most ordinary things can become more interesting and useful and even liberating so go deeper into that I completely agree with you. Uh, One of the things I say a lot is that spirit shows me the energy of intention is one of the energies that we don't hone in on strong enough. So go into it deeper on how you can really be reflective and what does that mean and how much time does that take in your day to participate in that? That takes no time at all. There's no time here. You just reflect. 
you're just aware, you're more aware. This is a very interesting discussion. I'll tell you why. I think intentionality, you've got good advice from your spirits, by the way. Most of us have a very weak sense of what I call voluntary intelligence. You can call it willpower, but I don't like that because it has some problems to get that term. But voluntary intelligence, meaning the ability to direct our awareness uh, reflectively and pointedly on things, rather than to go through life, you know, sometimes it's good to be just totally open, passive, and receptive. When I go out for coffee, I sit on the mall, have a cup of coffee, my mind's open, I listen to the sounds, I look at people. That's okay to be, to let my field of my awareness be filled with random impressions. I'm having fun. And, but I'm conscious that I'm the observer, you see. But in terms of everyday life, I don't live like that. I have to be, my mind has to be directed. It has to be pointed in a certain direction. And I'm constantly slipping away. I find myself wandering. I find I can be editing an article I've written and in the back, and then suddenly I'm getting an image in my mind of some person that annoyed me the other day or, or, or some uh, woman that turns me on. And I'm not apologizing for that. I'm the man, just a human being, right? But the mind is cluttered. Uh, or I'll get an image of someone that I haven't seen for 25 years will suddenly flash into my mind. So I have to constantly harness my psychic energy. If not, I lose the tone of my moment-to-moment existence. Uh, it, it becomes flaccid, lazy, vulnerable to little anxious, annoyed sensations that spoil the, the color and the texture of my immediate awareness. But I have a boom inside my will. I can sweep stuff away. I can organize. It's not easy. It's not easy. To take command of your own mind is uh, a whole lot harder than, uh, than one would suppose. <laughs> but it's something that we can all do. That's the point. We have only to be reminded what we're capable of doing at the beginning of actually doing it. I think that's so fascinating because I was having a discussion with somebody this year and they were saying, Julie, the way that I look at going to a counselor every week is that I have all this clutter inside my mind. And I'm thinking of all that clutter as laundry, right? And I go into the therapist's office and they help me separate the whites from the the darks from the color clothes. And then we wash it all, we dry it all. And then she helps me organize it and fold it so that it's neatly put away. And I think that so many energy healers, and that's what the work of healing in general is all about, is helping you sort through. Because I know for me, when I'm working with somebody, and I do both uh, Reiki energy healing with people while I'm bringing through messages from the other side. And what I feel in people's auric fields is that you can be holding on to so much heavy energy. And it's not just within the mind. It's in the body in different places. It's in the chakra points. And it can be out here in the auric field as well. So we're going through, we're evaluating all the energy, the heavy energy that you're holding on to, cleaning it, sorting it, folding it, and putting it away. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, those are all, those very metaphors can help you. Yeah. Much of the problem of dealing with life is finding the right language to 
frame our experiences. If you have that, uh, it, it can direct your consciousness because language can be a shaper of consciousness. Yeah. And so one word from somebody can make you happy or the wrong word can depress you uh, and so on. So what you just described was a very nice way of, of talking about a subtle process of self-knowledge that we all need to go through. Very yeah. good. And I think what you just touched on with that, too, brings me back to the point I was trying to make, too, with other healers. Mm -hmm. I think as healers, we have to be so sensitive with the words that we use with Mm -hmm. other people, because a lot of times that is where other people are coming in and saying, oh, my gosh, this person told me I have this heaviness here. This is going to happen here. And it's almost like you're giving that heavier energy to that person. Whereas I see my job as totally removing all of the heaviness by just bringing in the positive, helping clear away that heaviness. I don't know. I just had another aha moments. So many aha moments with you, Michael. (laughs) That's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad. Yes. So you have studied this for so long and I'm just wondering if you had words that you were going to give people in five minutes Mm -hmm. to just tell them and summarize the, the biggest points and conclusions that you've come to in your work, what would you share with them? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know, a big question. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. But I would say, to me, fall in love with something. I think people are not happy because they don't love. Now, it doesn't mean they have to love another person or be in a relationship. Love is the whole, the whole universe cries out to be loved. There are lovable, exciting things, things to do. Uh, I mean, it, it could be stamp collecting. Uh, it, it's but people uh, to move the spirit, to mute, to move the soul. You have to be fully alive, and the only thing that is going to make us fully alive is something that we love. It could be our family, it could be our children, it could be our whatever it is. You see, but as long as there's a positive, creative, and courageous energy. That is alive. You know when you know when it's alive in you, and, and you know it comes goes up and it goes down, it drifts apart and all the rest. But that, to me, in in in, in a nutshell, is the is what we need to fall in love with the world, to fall in love with something, with many things, if possible. I'm in love with all kinds of things: people, ideas, sights, sounds, music, art. I love my studio, the painting that I do. And to me, that's all I need. That's that. I mean, it doesn't work all the time. I have my down moments. I'm a human being. It's you know, up and down. But uh, I, 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 I would say that. And the, and the second summation of my whole learning experience and what I know, what I'm willing to offer, it's, it's this idea that every one of us has a touch of, has a, a kernel of divinity in us. I'm certain of that. I'm, I'm convinced that each human being has a nucleus of creative spirit that needs to be awakened, nurtured, trained, respected, honored, taught, uh, and acknowledged, number one. So I'm writing a book about, I've just finished writing a book about miracles, and the last line, my conclusion is, and I'm going to say it crudely now, I think I say it better in the book, but the idea that the conclusion is, Every human being is a miracle, and you are. You who are reading this book are a miracle in yourself. Find it, search it, 
realizing you say something like that. That's what I would say. <laughs> I can't wait for that book to come out. That's going to be brilliant. Well, okay. Uh, I'll, uh, you'll be the first. I'll send a copy as soon as it comes out. <laughs> oh, it'd be privileged. Thank you so much. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. For people who want to buy your books, I know they're on Amazon, but where else can they go and where can they find you? Well, they can find me on my on my blog, uh, and I'm on Facebook, and I'm also on um, Instagram, but I'm not too much. I don't play around too much with Instagram. But I welcome folks to uh, to be in touch, to share stories, share ideas. So I have a the blog is uh, Consciousness Unbound, and, and I also I have the same title for that of that for my for one of my pages on Facebook. You can meet me there if you like. Yes, we'll put all of that information in the show notes. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. All right, my pleasure, Julie. My pleasure. Beautiful souls, we have so many freebies to help serve you, your family, and friends. Want a weekly message from your angels emailed to you? Sign up on my website to receive a weekly message of love, hope, and healing from the angels. Do you have a prayer request? Go to the homepage of my website and submit your prayer request so that our team of prayer warriors can be praying for you daily. Want to learn more about the angels and energy healing? Subscribe to my YouTube channel called Julie Jancis to learn more about the angels, energy healing techniques, and so much more. One of the biggest things we hear from our listeners is that they have no one to talk to about their spiritual awakening. We created a private Facebook group called the Angels and Awakening Podcast Tribe so that you could connect with others like you and know that you're not alone. So be sure to join this group on Facebook to get the support you need. Want a free session? We plan to give away over 240 free sessions with students in the Angel School per year. To win a free session, subscribe and rate this podcast five stars. Then write a positive review and email us a screenshot. That way we know who to contact when you win. Want to share your uplifting angel story on the podcast? Because we love sharing them. Please write down your angel story and email it to us. Don't forget, be an angel and share this podcast with someone who needs it. See you back here next time for another episode of the Angels and Awakening podcast. Friends, before we go, I want you to take a deep breath in. Deep breath out. Again, deep breath, inhaling the pure white light and love of God, making you feel weightless and filled with joy. And I want you to exhale all of the heaviness that you've been carrying in your auric field, in your chakras, in your body. Friends, no matter where you are in your life, your angels need you to know that you are so, so loved. Never doubt that you have big, big purpose here and now. What is your soul here to do? My friends, your spirit team is always working with you. I want you to see and feel your heart chakra and your heart itself 
opening like French doors. I want you to see God and your spirit team sending you a multitude of blessings of abundance in health, wealth, happiness, love, and peace. See all of those unexpected blessings filling your heart right now. My friends, your soul is love, joy, peace, bliss, ease, and grace. And because that's who and what you truly are, these elements can never leave you. They can never be taken away from you. And my friends, all you really ever have to do is just be. Be you and radiate the beautiful light that you are. So go forth today and be an angel in the lives of others. Radiate your love and live in the high vibration of simply being. Friends, if you feel the calling to be a healer or to learn more about energy so that you as an empathic person, as a highly sensitive person, can learn how to clear out your own energy, if you really feel called to take action and become a healer to fulfill your soul's purpose in this lifetime, then the Angel Reiki School is so for you. Imagine what your life would be like when you know how to use your unique spiritual gifts, whether that's connecting with angels, mediumship, intuition, seeing color, or really having the power to heal with your hands to help others make huge changes in their lives. We have an upcoming Angel Reiki School on Saturday, May 2nd and Sunday, May 3rd. This is held at the Hilton Doubletree in Lyle, Illinois. We get together all day Saturday from about 8.30 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. and we are working all day long on helping you develop your spiritual gifts, helping you understand energy more. And then we come together on Sunday from about 9 a.m. till about 12.30 p.m. and we're honing in your gifts. My friends, I keep the class sizes small on purpose for a reason because it allows me to really help each individual connect with their unique spiritual gifts and really hone in on what that is and how to use it with other people. Because my friends, each one of us does have a unique gift. And the angel Reiki method that I created is really about bridging different forms of healing. It's not 100% Reiki. It is really a unique system of healing. It's about learning energy so that you can help people clear energy out of their aura, their chakras, their body. But then it's also about understanding what your spiritual gift is. And that could be so many different things. But once you understand your unique spiritual gift, you can use it to help that person go even deeper into their healing. So that's what the Angel School is. It's really a bridge of both energy healing and you developing your unique gifts so that you know how to use it to not just help yourself, but to help others as well. Friends, I was called to create the Angel Reiki Method during a vision where I saw Spirit showing me how the planet will come to a place of peace. Spirit says that the 7.5 billion people on earth will not come to a place of peace using the same healing path, but instead by healers rising up and creating new paths of healing 
based on their unique spiritual gifts. Friends, if I hadn't listened to the little voice calling me to become a healer, I would still be working in corporate America miserable. And what spirit wants you to know is that you have to listen to your heart. Because when you are called to be a healer, that calling doesn't go away. You might try and push it off for five years, 10 years, 20 years, but my friends, it is still going to be there. I have had women come into my office who have said, you know what, Julie, I'm a widow now and I am in my 80s, but this is what I have always felt called to do. And this is what I'm doing and I'm starting it now. So there's no age limit, but the sooner that we do this, we feel fulfilled in our souls. We feel so alive and that's what I want for you. I want you to have that fulfillment. I want you to get that by touching the lives, the souls that you're here to help in this lifetime. So if the Angel Reiki School is something that you feel called to, definitely uh, go over to my website or reach out to the office. We will get you all registered and ready to go for the May 2nd and 3rd Angel Reiki School. Thank you so much, friends. Sending you peace, bliss, and many, many blessings.